0: All right. Ed, man. Hey. Thank you so much for connecting. Thank you so much for being a part of this, man. Man, it's
1: good to see you out there in the great Northwest.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. God is good. Believe it or not, there are Christians out here. Lots
1: of us. Lots of them. Lots of them. <laughs> Well, it's funny. I, it brings back memories. I spent some of my graduate um, time out in Seattle and worked for Ron Sims as a policy advisor. And so a lot of, lot of good friends that are out there in the Seattle area. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, wow. so, uh, so some people don't know how you and I know each other. Yeah. Should we give a quick flyover? Yeah, it would probably be good just so people know how we know each other. I, I remember meeting you. One of the first things that I remembered, um, we were meeting downtown. And um, great, great um, conversation as you were contemplating some really big things in your life. And um, I happen to be in a position of being able to serve you as um, the senior associate pastor at um, Hermitage Hills Baptist Church, uh, just outside of Nashville. We love you, Hermitage Hills. Yeah. (laughs) So still in touch with a lot of good folks there, um, but that's how we first met. And you uh, were a prolific writer, still are. (laughs) <laughs> um, at LifeWay, and you were sharing some good things, as well as we were just kind of dreaming together and just talking a little bit about what God was doing in our lives and our families. And uh, so I remember that very fondly And subsequent conversations.
0: Man, and now God's brought you to Harvest
1: yeah. in Chicago. Yeah, and Harvest Bible Chapel here in Chicago. Uh, we have six campuses. I serve as the lead campus pastor, so I get a chance to shepherd over all the campus pastors, um, and partner with uh, my direct supervisor, Greg um, Bradshaw, who's our interim lead pastor. And then I also am over the weekend uh, teaching team, have a chance to shepherd that. There's a team of us together, and we are um, privileged to be able to be working with Dave Stone, who's also uh, partnering with us as he recently retired from Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. So uh, just been a great season. A lot of a lot of changes, a lot of different things, but just really good to be here and be together today.
0: Amen. Yeah, man. Um, I'm grateful for your ministry. God called us over to Seattle from Nashville to Seattle. Uh, I'm now the lead pastor at Highlands Community Church with campuses in Renton and Kent, Washington. Wow. So, thank you, uh, everybody, for for joining us. Thank you for being. Uh, a part of this, the the hope that Ed and I share is that we could bring the gospel to bear upon something that is heavy upon communities' hearts, particularly the African-American community, and put in perspective how the pangs and the strife, the difficulties of this earth compare to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to also spoil the ending for all of us that ultimately, ultimately in the end, racism loses ultimately in the end Jesus wins ultimately in the end we can say with full authority that it is God's will that all the nations from every tribe every nation every language every tongue come together
1: to glorify God that's right that's right and i yeah. think the other thing is that i hope that uh listeners will see uh two friends that are having a genuine conversation we live in a nation right now where uh, truth is relative, it's what you feel. And frankly, to have a conversation um, in evangelical circles about difficult issues is tantamount to, um, you know, sometimes professional suicide that means people don't, they don't go there. Yeah. And I think that we, we freely go there because we go there first in private. Um, but I think we also go there because there are things that you and I see as threads in the gospel message where at the end of the day that's what we're foreshadowing is that the only hope that we have when it comes to issues of race and justice and gender and equality is jesus christ the gospel of yeah. jesus christ nothing short of it nothing else
0: will do that's exactly right we propose something that does more than even discourage or decrease racist behaviors, but we propose the one thing in the universe that could actually transform a racist heart permanently. Right. Racism is one particular sin, similar to other sins that Ed and I would also struggle with, but that racism is a, is a symptom of the sin nature, and there's only one thing in the world that can transform, uh, paradigmatically transform and forever alter the substance of a man's soul, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit of God can turn the heart completely, uh, where sin gives birth to
1: racism. Only the Holy Spirit can permanently change someone for eternity. Absolutely. You know, I get asked a lot of questions in this area, um, both privately and publicly. And oftentimes um, when I post, I post things, you know, of spiritual value and leadership development and, and even every now and then some social issues. And a lot of this percolated Jesse, after just a brief social media post, that I, it it was no more than two minutes to craft it. Um, And people thought it was like, wow, he really spent a lot of time with this. It's like, well, I live this. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't difficult to pen it, but I think people often ask, what can they do? Um, How can they respond? And we'll get to that in a little bit, but, you might want to tee up a little bit, maybe what kind of even began the conversation for us. Yeah. yeah. They, we
0: have particularly the story of Ahmad Arbery. And then we have the larger arc, the bigger story that's happening simultaneously. I'm just going to share the facts of the story as revealed by the Associated Press and other press outlets and some private outlets and some public um, in my experience, this is not uh, like, like, you know, this is not the first time that we've stepped into racial reconciliation matters. Um, I know that speaking on these things sometimes gets you skewered sometimes, especially if what you're saying is the truth. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what, what Ed and I hope to do is begin with an unabashed candid look at the, the, the simple facts of what has taken place. Um, And this, by the way, is, being shared live currently on May 20th. It is 1.38 p.m. Pacific time, which means it is 11.38 central time where Ed is. And so as we offer this live right now on May 20th, we're basing it on all the information that is available up to the time of this broadcast. So if you're viewing this on absolutely any date after May 20th, 2020, and you have information that we didn't have at 1.30 p.m. Pacific or 11.30 a.m. Central, uh, uh, then, then please, please um look at the the date of the article or the posting date of the video footage that you've seen since this live cast and you understand that you have information that we don't have yet and you can trust that we'll see it when you see it too that's right so far as of this minute uh, even checking the headlines right before we went live here retired detective Gregory McMichael, who's 64, and his son Travis McMichael, who's 34, heard from a neighbor that an African-American man was running through the neighborhood and that he fit the description of someone suspected of a series of break-ins. Footage of Ahmad stepping into an empty house that was under construction later surfaced. The owner of that house confirmed that Ahmad took nothing, that he was just looking at the construction. Even a few hours before we went live, additional surveillance video surfaced from that same property showing Several different people scoping out the property day and night. Uh, Ahmad's family confirmed with the police that it was indeed Ahmad on the surveillance footage, but Ahmad was one of at least six different individuals that I've seen on that surveillance video visiting the property. This week, Diego Perez, who's the neighbor to the house under construction, reported that on February 11th, two weeks prior to the shooting, Travis McMichael confronted Arbery in the driveway of the same house. Uh, Diego Perez told the press that. Travis saw him in the yard. I quote, Travis saw him in the yard and Travis stopped. He confronted Ahmad halfway into the yard and he said that Ahmad reached for his waistband and Travis got spooked and went down the road, end quote. Uh, two weeks later, when Ahmad reappeared on the house's motion sensor triggered security camera, uh, the owner of the house, Larry English, notified McMichael, who then called the police. And McMichael rallied his son, recruited the cameraman who provided the footage. Uh, and they set out to make a citizen's arrest. By the way, I think that cameraman is facing some legal troubles as well now too. Uh, I've I've seen the security footage dated February 23rd. Ahmad walked up the block into the view of the camera, walked up to the house, stood outside for a few seconds, walked into the open garage and then ran out of the front door of the house. Uh, That as far as the security footage reveals, that he was not running until he left the house, and that there was a previous confrontation in front of the house, could explain some of the neighbor's suspicion. Uh, however, I've not seen footage of the alleged com- alleged confrontation between the two uh, the, the, the two weeks prior to the shooting. So, uh, as of May twentieth, this prior confrontations uh, it, it's as of yet uncorroborated with video evidence. Right. right? Uh, also, this prior confrontation and Ahmad's behavior on the security footage do not warrant the use of deadly force. At all, right? Um, to the day of the shooting, Gregory Michael called the cops and told the dispatcher, having seen the footage of Ahmad standing in the house under construction wearing a white T-shirt, and he said, "He's running now." Right. Now, it's evidently a property crime to walk into a house that's under construction. Um, I've I've done that.
1: <laughs> I've done, done that. that many times. Got great in- ideas for my own houses. That right, better- right,
0: but in no way in no way, in my mind, warrants an armed pursuit by neighbors. Uh, now, in 2000, granted, as this always happens, you and I were talking about this before, um, anything you did for the past 50 years is now going to be on full public display. Exactly. These are past incidences that are now being circulated as well, but they have no bearing on this particular story because, I mean, unless the McMichaels are like the cast of Fast and Furious, like they didn't have access to this information. They didn't know that. No. Um, it could it, it could indicate you know sometimes past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior, but we're watching the video footage here. It doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be totally relevant. But in 2018, uh, Ahmad was convicted of shoplifting and violating probation. Video surfaced seven hours ago. Now uh, the body cam of a police officer who was who was asking to search Ahmad's car in 2017. He, was, he, had a, he had a hostile exchange with a police officer. Another police officer attempted to tase him while he was compliant. Um, I don't think that the tasers connected. But that video just came out like yeah. seven, uh, seven hours ago. And then also there's a, a mugshot that was released where Ahmad brought a gun to a high school basketball game. So these do, these do um, help us understand a little bit more about, I mean, we've seen one of Ahmad's interactions with the police in the past already, but again, those have no bearing on the events of February 23rd, uh, right. because we see everything that happened on February 23rd in video. Uh,
1: so they call out I, that I think that's really great that you brought that out, Jesse, because I, I think what happens, and people that are watching uh, need to understand that this is one of the MOs that happens all the time, especially when race is involved, is that people immediately go to well let's just check out their background let's check Mm -hmm. out what's happened in their in their in their life as if that is a determining factor in what we are going to get to a video that you clearly can see something that that happened yeah for an african-american man we're not surprised one iota at seeing video that resurfaces about any type of interaction with law enforcement and we thank god for Um, our law enforcement and first responders and things. Um, But what we're going to be talking about is what goes into the psyche of a person. And what do you think about when you see that, as you said, we both have gone into houses um, that have been vacant and also maybe under construction. We've, we've gone upstairs to second levels and third levels but what you look like when you walk into those houses, you are immediately profiled. If I'm with a, my beautiful wife and children, um, that's a different thing. But if I'm going by myself, I'm immediately thinking about things that the average white person would not even think about as they go into a vacant house to be able to see how it's being built. Yeah. It's just kind of, it's, it's an unfortunate thing, but that is one of the first things that happens uh, in these situations. So in the video,
0: they shout out at Ahmad, stop, stop. We want to talk to you. Um, I've seen now two different versions of the video wherein the pickup truck is on the road, Ahmad is to the left of the truck. And then the cameraman is in a car following. Right. I've actually seen a version of this that actually alters the footage so that it actually it tries to illuminate that the man in the back standing in the back of the pickup truck fired first. And then I've seen the, the what I think is the older version of the footage. It's not really clear if it was the guy in the back of the truck. It could have been actually the shotgun that Travis McMichael was holding.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we can't even even video even videos are being tampered with in this. It's, that's right. Retarting. It makes it all the more difficult. Um, but what is clear in the video is that Travis McMichael then came up to Arbery with a shotgun. Uh, Arbery grabbed that gun and was shot at point-blank range in, in the hand, and then later, fatally. Yeah. Legally speaking, given the absence of evidence that they had to confirm Ahmad had actually committed a crime, this is tantamount to, what, kidnap, a kidnapping attempt turned into felony murder? That's right. And right. what's, what's so, what's distinctive about this story is that if, if it weren't for the footage, it would be very difficult to indict the McMichaels, ironically. Impossible. They enlisted their friend because they thought the video footage would somehow redeem what they were doing. Literally, this footage that they were evidently proud of and thought would redeem them proved their guilt in the matter. That That's some pretty profound delusion. Yeah. Um, and then it gets further shocking when the McMichaels and their their crew uh, genuinely thought, even though McMichael Sr. was a detective, that they were actually helping to enforce the law when, uh, and, and so they had filmed it and submitted the footage. Yeah. In the case of Trayvon Martin, uh, neighborhood watchman George Zimmerman, the, uh, there was no video evidence to support his claims of defense, only a broken nose. Uh, right. Zimmerman, who was an Hispanic, was called white initially and then relabeled white Hispanic. His only evidence was his broken nose, but they they charged him with ma- had they charged him with manslaughter, he likely would have been convicted. However, they charged him with murder, and the case was overturned. Uh, there's no video footage, and and for the same reason, when we read the the story of um, even this this is this is a, a recent one as well, um, African American Sheldon C. Francis executing white elderly uh, strangers, Paul and Lydia Marino, while they took their daily visit to their son's grave. We simply don't know what happened. The racial undertones in that story are inferred in conjecture because at the time of this broadcast, nothing has surfaced regarding Sheldon Francis's mental health or any history of racist actions. This time we actually have video footage and that further complicates the matter because prosecutor George Barnhill said that Travis McMichael was acting in self-defense and that the McMichaels were justified in pursuing a citizen's arrest. Now, he later recused himself because it was found that he had a conflict of interest, and now the case will go before a grand jury. But then the larger story here, where it zooms out to a bigger meta-narrative, is how this happened in February, but Waycross Circuit District Attorney George Barnhill and Brunswick Circuit District Attorney Jackie Johnson, who insists that her office did what it was supposed to do, sat on the case for two months after hearing from the police that it was in fact self-defense and then recusing Herself for a conflict of interest.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's now two, two district attorneys recusing themselves at this point in time of, in the case. And Georgia attorney Chris Carr has called
0: for an investigation into the actions of Barnhill and Johnson. And so uh, we, we pray for, for justice to be done both in Arbery's case and in future cases throughout Georgia. Uh, Brunswick, Georgia, if the Associated Press is correct, doesn't have a framework to process hate crimes. So it's possible that this could become a, a federal hate crime case. Right. Right. So those, that's, as of May 20th, that's the the flyover of what's happened as we, as we understand it so far.
1: Yeah. You know, when you look at that, uh, when you look at the situation, um, a lot of people ask why are black people so tired? Why are, why are they, why are they so, why are they so tired? And, and I think part of it is Jesse is taking out, The spiritual element for a moment. When you continually see a pattern, it's like if I wrong you and I continue to do the same thing to you and you keep saying, I'm sorry, but the same thing keeps happening, there's only one of two things that I can assert at that point either we don't have understanding of what is hurting me, or two, you have the power and the authority to do so and you feel willful in doing it and and i think that one of the things that is difficult for oftentimes people to understand is that we operate in a system where inherently the system inherently is biased i didn't say each individual i'm talking about in general the the law enforcement um, situation that we find ourselves in is inherently biased. We had two men who genuinely believed that they could, on their own volition, handle a civil problem. That, that's, a, that's a very difficult thing to wrap your head around when you start to think about if, the, if it was turned, and that was two African-American men would you think differently about that scenario? Would you think differently about um, asking about the background of the person who was murdered versus the background of those who were the perpetrators? This is something that has happened in American history over and over. And so we're at this place in this particular um, situation. As you and I were talking about it, I thought it would be good To hear your viewpoint, what made this particular instance maybe grab you? Um, Obviously, you're uh, Native American descent, but as a many people look at you, they just go, "Oh, he's white man." Um, Uh, Last
0: name Campbell. That's
1: basically last name Campbell. That you know. There you go. (laughs) But what was it about this situation that grabbed your attention uh, as as a man? I i didn 't know that I
0: shared some difficulties with corruption and law enforcement in my heart with the black community until um, I fully began to understand what happened in L a in the early '90s. I don't think I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody uh, would justify a lot of the violence and the destruction that took place in the riots, but you can understand the pain when yeah. um, in the, story, the video of, of Rodney King. Um, I saw and heard the audio from the officer driving up to the scene, describing a group of African-Americans standing out there as, and I I tremble to say this, it's it's terrible, but he used the words gorillas in the mist. And then we see multiple officers beating Rodney King brutally, and then they're later acquitted. And so we had like this evidence of, racial undertones in the voice of one of the, the, the officers who did this. And then later on, we see um, that, they're, that they're acquitted. Now, since Rodney King, we've had the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. And when I first heard the words Black Lives Matter, I thought, yes, amen. I think, I mean, every, there's, I, I can't think of anybody that I know personally who would disagree with the words Black Lives Matter. Right. But then the cause, which is difficult to nail down because who who really led it? It was a movement, it was very grassroots, and it was it was pretty big, um, began to endorse all these other stories that when new information would present itself or when the narrative would shift and change, they wouldn't acknowledge it. They would forge ahead with their original their, their original narrative. And then coming alongside African American brothers and sisters who were grieving meant conceding to things that My conscience wouldn't let me because the evidence changed the narrative. Now, that frustrated me further because I have seen corruption in law enforcement. I want to give a quick shout out of love, and I'm positive Pastor Ed agrees with me on this. We know multiple solid Christians in law enforcement who are men and women of integrity, and we're incredibly grateful for you. That's right. In my experience when we lived in the town of Windermere um, we, we lived in the, the house that belonged to the church for a little while it was across the street from the town hall in the middle of the park and there was a great deal of corruption on the, the town council at the time things have gotten better since but at the time the police officer the police force of Windermere just kind of drew from the dregs of other police forces around the country um, we had some interactions with them that were less than that were less than positive um, yeah. and we had some of them that would come to the church even and help provide security and interactions there were good but uh, there was an expose where the town manager was letting her friends get off the hook for their speeding tickets while other people were getting speeding tickets for going 30 and a 30. Um, And the evidence lockers at the police station suddenly had like drugs, drug paraphernalia disappearing. Um, One journalist did a ride along with a police officer who told him that he was trained to target people of color. One time we came home at night and there was an ambulance with the lights flashing across the street from our house. And it turns out that there was a fight that had broken out at the town hall meeting. I mean, this this was the kind of corruption that was taking place. Now, uh, praise God, there was an overhaul. We, they had a new police chief installed. I got to meet him shortly before we moved from Orlando to Nashville. Uh, he was a great guy, and, the, and, and things have really turned uh, turned for the better ever since, but it did give me a firsthand look into some police corruption that exists, and so I knew, based on my, you know, everybody remembers what happened with, with Rodney King, and based on what I would experienced firsthand with the police department that was across the street from uh, you know, my house, basically, I knew that this stuff existed. But then the examples that the Black Lives Matter movement kept putting out, they, they kept doing so to the uh, to the direct neglect of other facts in the case. And I didn't want to bear false witness. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to champion a cause where the facts weren't on the side. I mean, like uh, Proverbs 19 to even zeal is not good without knowledge. And the one who acts hastily sins in verse five, a false witness will not go unpunished and no one who utters lies will not escape. So It was frustrating for me because i i was I was crying out to the movement in my in my heart saying like there are examples out there, but you keep championing the bad examples that other people can't get behind yeah. This is partially what commits uh, contributes to what you and I were talking about before uh, regarding white silence, yeah yeah white silence is often misconstrued it's not that it's not that white people don't want to weigh in and don't want to share in the pain of, of, of injustices. It's that the examples that get purported out there often have factual and evidential holes in them. And they can't stand behind that case. They'll stand behind you, but they won't stand behind that particular example that you're purporting. And, and it's because out of a conviction that they don't want to bear false witness and make a false accusation. Um, that's partially why we're even given qualifications in this to say like, this is the information we have as of May 20th. That's right. Uh, white silence has been... It has been a problem. Some white silence is from cowardice. I will say that. But I also want to explain something I have seen here in Seattle, like t-shirts going around uh, that say white silence is uh, white, white silence is white um, consent. And I think that is a very dangerous line of thought because we would never tell a rape victim that silence is consent. Mm -hmm. We would never, we ought not misconstrue the definitions of these words. Etymologically, it is paramount to maintaining the truth here. Rather, I know that some... White silence is because you're waiting for that example that you can get behind with your conscience clear, knowing that you're not bearing false witness. But this is a clear evidence that we're, we're in it's not conjecture, it's not inferred, it's factual and it's it's observable, and it's not based yeah. on emotional appeal, it's based on basic justice. If you've been waiting for one of those stories to weigh in on this is one of those stories, this is what brings Ahmad's story particularly to light because for two months, the case was labeled self-defense when there was video evidence to the contrary. In either case, this is a story of an ex-cop shooting an unarmed person unjustifiably and who needs to be tried. So uh, the, another another one of these examples would be, I mean, what happened with the Unite the Right white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in August of 2017? That was the That's easiest right. thing in the world to condemn. I mean, you, you and I were lived in Nashville together at the time. I yeah. I, I condemned that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that... The, there are, there are these instances, there are, there, are, there are stories that have come out in the past, like even the story of Philando Castile shooting. Um, his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, opens up the video with a monologue that misleads, misleads the footage. That's yeah. not the case with the story of Ahmad Arbery. Uh, Alton Sterling shooting, uh, unlike the Alton Sterling shooting, Ahmad was unarmed. And unlike yeah. Michael Brown, Ahmad was not running at the police officer. There's zero evidence that he committed a crime immediately before being shot. Right. Um, and, and it's different from the example of Walter Scott in South Carolina, who was gunned down by a white police officer, Michael right. Slager. Slager lied about it, was exposed, and was jailed. And now, similar to Walter Scott, we can't we can't say with solid authority that Slager's motivations were racist. He could have been trying to save his own skin. Right. But in this case, we don't yet know fully the motivations of the McMichaels. All right, right. It, it is conjecture at this point. I would I would wait to see further evidence of their own. Histories. It's, it's it's interesting. We we investigate backgrounds in a way that's 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 not constructive. Um, we resort to ad hominem attacks, wherein exactly. somebody says something that's accurate. Yeah, but you have unpaid parking tickets, so therefore your math is yeah. incorrect. <laughs>
1: like, well, remember remember when we when we even began talking about this, you said to me you said Ed, you know when should we do this? Because you know in the news cycle that we have, it might that's be. Right. And I, I thought it would be too late. And what was my response? My response was, hey, Jesse, <laughs> the unfortunately next coming. the next story will be tomorrow. And sure enough, it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think one of the things that uh, my friend, Lisa Harper, um, who wrote the very good gospel, just a phenomenal um, author and um, activist and friend. She, one of the things we agreed about is as a, as a response to that is, what happens in majority culture is people have the privilege to be silent. Hmm. You know, it's not just that you are waiting for the right thing, but you get to a place where you have the privilege to be silent. And it's fascinating what people get loud about. You and I were laughing um, and, and saying people were just up in arms about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee not listening at all of why, had nothing to do with the lack of patriotism. But yet, in the last 30 days, people could storm state capitals with AKA rifles, mm. and they're not at all touched. Um, they've defamed property, um, they've done things that have been very unpatriotic, but yet that's free speech. So which one, which one is it in our, in our country? When you say things like that, people um, immediately seize on what they want to hear. And -hmm. you and I make a living in part by speaking. And so every weekend we get a chance to um, herald the word of God. And it's very, it's a very um, important thing. But it's amazing what people hear when you share the word of God. Amen. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that um, for me, what's been helpful in Genesis 2 and 3, to turn around and see God saying what I created. It was very good. Yeah. And what he created was also you and me in we his, were created in his image. That's it. We're we all created in his image of God. That's yeah, it is. So you can't, you can't call yourself a believer, a person who loves God and hate your neighbor. In fact, Jesus comes along later on and he says, Hey, just want you guys to know there's really only two things you need to remember out of everything that you could remember is one to love God with your heart, mind, and soul. And then the second commandment is just like it. It's as if it's the same, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And so all that um, African-Americans and others who um, proclaim uh, the good gospel, um, what we're basically saying is, be true to who you're supposed to be. If you call yourself a Christian, mm-hmm. don't be a three, four issue Christian that you're going to be excited about abortion. You're going to be excited about um, uh, your rights. You're going to be excited about, um, you know, the, the, um, the unborn. Um, what, what is it that would cause us to, to mourn and weep? It's, it's all of those things. It's all of those things because we're, we're all fallen. And what we see happen all too often in the area of race is people just become silent, Jesse. They don't, they don't speak. And when they don't speak um, regardless of the reason they actually provide permission. And so we we're in the church. So we obviously go to the word of God. So I think that's a great place for us to, um, to start to turn the plane of what what does this mean and what does this have to do with the gospel, if at all?
0: Amen. Yeah, yeah. Proverbs Proverbs twenty nine twenty. Do you see someone who speaks too soon? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Yeah. All right. So it's wise to it's wise to wait to make sure you understand. But then when you do understand, yeah. speak. That's right. Speak and speak the gospel. the The tendency. And our culture is to form and foment this big, militant, angry Internet mob. Yeah. You know, video surfaced of, of a man driving a delivery truck who was he, he went through a gated community and was confronted by a couple of the residents and was, was you know wounded to the point of tears over the, the confrontation that took place. And, and within five minutes. These sweet people that I knew from, from Florida State suddenly were broadcasting the man's like home address and phone number and email address and website and everything. And, and were utterly convinced that what he was doing was uh, was an example of, of racism. And I understand why people want to be a part of an angry internet mob. Like you want to be there, you want to throw the stone because it makes you look more virtuous if you can call something even that even that bears one scintilla of racist undertones or could be framed as racism it makes you feel more virtuous if you can join in the angry mob that's throwing stones at this alleged racist i mean Correct. Like, what i've i've been i've been blown away at the uh, our disregard for the the dangers of labeling somebody racist who isn't racist you know i have i've seen how uh, people would bore like full steam ahead into that. So when you don't have all of the facts just yet, you still feel compelled to weigh in. What better thing to weigh in with than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which transforms hearts? That's way better than any angry internet mob. Angry internet mobs who dox people, meaning reveal their personal information, at the very best would cause racist behavior to go further underground. Yeah. Uh, Would maybe... Maybe would discourage some racist behaviors, but I don't think that angry internet mobs change the hearts of racists. I think that there are just as many racists in the world with the internet mob mentality uh, that there are, you know, as opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which actually transforms the heart of the, racist. Like the, the gospel. And,
1: and frankly, um, we've been in the book of Mark here at Harvest for the better part of the last year. I'm fascinated, Jesse, how many people can read scripture and not see culture and race. Yeah. Jesus took the 11 on um, at the time, 12 before Judas um, had um, taken his own life. He took them on a little tour. And it's interesting. The tour was not because he needed to spend some extra time. The tour was because they thought that the gospel was for them for people who were Jewish. Mm -hmm. And Jesus was very clear that this is not just for you, it's for the world. I came to fulfill the scriptures and I also came to give hope and life to all of those people who you don't associate with, who you don't believe are clean and who you don't believe should have access. And it's really interesting that that in part also aided his demise. But we don't talk about that. We just want to get to John 3:16 and 17. You know, we want to hop over and give a couple scriptures and Romans. We don't want to talk about the context of how radical Jesus really was. That all people, all people have access to the throne of grace. We all are at the same at the cross. And yet we live into in a society, um, even in the church. Uh, unfortunately, where these attitudes um, still remain and exist.
0: They're out there. They're out there. They're outside of the Overton window now, meaning like that, that frame uh, that l- draws the border around what is acceptable for public discourse. That's right. That movement and that shifting of the Overton window across generations is what makes our stomachs churn when we watch a movie like The Help. Yeah. And and we see the white characters just very casually saying things that make us all grip our chairs today. It's because the Overton window has shifted. Racist views are now well outside of that, the Overton window. But that doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist anymore. It just means that it's right. no longer acceptable to publicly say it.
1: That's right. I mean, there was
0: an era when politicians campaigned on it for crying out loud. And now it's well yeah. outside of the Overton window. That's right. So this this calls to action certain people who are in positions that that means that when you are by the water cooler when you're by the coffee pot when you're by the bonfire when you're when you're in those moments where you actually do then genuinely come upon somebody who would articulate something that is racist. uh, You know those of you watching they don't they don't often come to to me and to Pastor Ed directly like (laughs) you're more in a position you're on the front lines especially if you're uh, in regards to Ahmad Arbery's story if you if you. Uh, you know, if the allegations of, of racism on the part of this ex-detective turn out to be true, then you are on the front lines of law enforcement and the front wherein you could actually bring the gospel to bear upon somebody who needs to hear it the most. That's right uh, to, to truly solve the issue here, which is ultimately sin. The church has the market cornered on hope. And the one thing that could actually, and will, by the way, I believe that revelation describes what's going to happen. It will in Jesus name end. That's right. We've spoken the entire time about making sure that you don't bear false witness. Make sure that you make sure that you, you speak, you speak, you know, correctly with the facts on your side. This is partly what is sometimes misconstrued as white silence. Really it's waiting to make sure that what you're saying is true. We can say this with absolute authority. We are not bearing false witness. We're practicing basic reading comprehension when we see Revelation 7 and the beautiful promise that after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language, which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, along with all the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and honor and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This multitude from the Great Tribulation is comprised of people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue. You're not bearing false witness when you say that the racists lose in the end. And if you are in that position, if you, when you come upon it, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to white America. When you hear it at the water cooler and by the coffee pot, your heart's going to thump out of your chest, but this is your moment. And when you do, don't just shame their behavior, okay? Don't, don't, just, don't just put a Band-Aid on the wound, like cure the disease with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's so right. that not only would there be fewer incidences of racist behavior and culture that there would be a, a smaller number of racists in the universe. Like that is far greater. And only, only, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do this. Right. The antidote to racism itself is the antidote to sin. The antidote to sin is nothing other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we need culturally and what will make earth a little bit more like heaven is nothing short of a revival but a power of the Holy Spirit of God. and what we're doing right now, Ed, it's my prayers that would lead to that happening through the context of the local church.
1: That's right. That's right. I, I really think it feel like um a lot of times what I see happens is that people allow fear to stop them from love. The only thing that defeats the power of the enemy in this area, as well as I would Um, project any area in our lives is the power of love. When you are fully known and fully loved, you have the opportunity then to be able to respond proactively, knowing that Jesus Christ has defeated the enemy, having forever. Forever. I mean, he had the opportunity. There was not a person who's ever lived who could validate his existence the way that Jesus did. And yet what did he do? every time that he was reviled. And I'll tell you, I'm just going to be honest with those that are watching. Um, it is very hard to walk in certain circles, Mm. um, of the evangelical community as an African-American man today. I'm in rare air nationally in leading at this, at this level. Mm. It is not, um, difficult because I don't know who I am. Very, very, I'm confident in in who God's created me to be. What's difficult is when you continue to face Jesse the the um, the ignorance of lack of understanding of Scripture, coupled with um, the sin that is so prevalent of preference in our minds. And when you see and you encounter that, I won't spend the time talking about the real examples in my life, not history books, uh, but ones that I have experienced and seen happen right in front of me and where I'm have, I have to give myself um, an account and I have to pause and I have to say, Lord, I know how I could respond, but what would you have me to do in this moment? And I think that that is one of the real um, challenges of, today is that for all of us, we're well-versed in um, sound bites. We're well-versed in blog posts. What we don't do is we don't do the theological rigor and the, and the deep dive and understanding that scripture does address this. And it inconveniences us all because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, even in this area. Yeah, yeah.
0: Man, Revelation 5, Revelation 5 beginning in, in verse 9, yeah. and they sang a new song singing to Jesus. You are new worthy song. to take the scroll and to open its seals. Uh, you, might, you and I might disagree on what this represents. I, I've always interpreted the scroll as the title deed to creation, to fallen creation and the earth. What's your take on what the scroll represents?
1: Yeah, I was Gary saying, I, I used to think that way too until about a year ago. So oh, I'm no. to see where you're going.
0: Okay, we'll get
1: eschatological on another call, okay?
0: (laughs) Because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. So listen... Angry internet mob, you got nothing on the revealed word of God, okay? <laughs> right? you, you have nothing, like even, even and I have, I have an utmost respect for like secular, sociological, like humanistic, you know, social work style attempts to bring about racial reconciliation through temporary and, and e- ephemerate, you know, feel-goodery. This is far more than that. This is an eternal promise from God. Pastor Ed and I have a different view of race than what culture does in certain senses because we believe the word of God. We believe that ultimately we are all brothers and sisters. We believe from as as descendants of the people God created that, that race is a result of our descendancy, but it's also a result of just redemptive history. It is not that we were created, some of us in the image of God, and others not. Rather, we were both created in the image of God. We have a common ancestry in in, in Adam and Eve, in the Word of God. And as a result, we know where race is heading. And it's heading to the the final book of the Bible, where people from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation will worship God together. What greater thing to have in common than the thing that saves your souls, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in the off chance, Ed, that there is even somebody who does like, harbor racist views who's tuned in out of curiosity or is planning to troll us later. <laughs> should, <laughs> should we speak to them directly? Go, Ed, would you share the gospel with the yeah. closet racist who's tuned in out of curiosity?
1: Yeah, I would just say that you have tuned in today um, not because you or I are perfect and have all the answers, but the fact is, we know who does. Yeah, there's a man named Jesus, um, he was more than a man, he was a savior. And the reality is he came um, not to save people who were already saved and believed in him. He came for people just like you and me. And the reality is he knows what it means to be hated. He knows what it's like um, to be despised. He knows what it's like to have people say things about him and not understand who he is. And if you're joining in and you're racist and you um, have struggled with loving people who look different than you, Let me be the first to say, welcome home. Let me be the first to say um, that, that I love you and that while I don't know you personally, I understand the source of the pain and the sin that you are wrestling with. And the reality is this, that Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life and he came to die for your sins and my sins. But he didn't just die. Because that's not where the story ends. Because he chose to lay his life down. No one took it. He laid it down. He became a ransom for you and me. He died in my place. And he died in your place because we didn't have within ourselves the ability to save ourselves. He died. He took our place. But then the last thing that he did is that he got up. Yeah. He got up. He got up on the third day. He got up for you. He got up for me. He got up for the world because he understood that there was more work to be done. And the more work that needed to be done was that you and me, you who may be a person that's far from Christ or even um, wrestle with the issues of race, or maybe you're a person who loves Jesus Christ, but you have a family member in um, your house, or in your Im- immediate family that you go and visit, and you realize this is not right. This is not the right thing. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done, we believe can change lives. The gospel is not a myth. It is an alive story in the hearts of you, me, hope. Jesse. It's the hope that we have. That's why we do this, that we don't do this because we're perfect. Um, We would have a whole nother podcast about the imperfections that we bring to our faith. But the fact is when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was shed. And when the father looks at you and he looks at me, he does not see my flaws. He sees his son. Yes. And that's what gives us the great hope that we have.
0: Come home, come home come home confess right. that jesus is lord that's right confess that jesus is lord right now say it out loud i don't care who hears you you say it. Right. jesus is lord they need to know <laughs> that's right
1: that's exactly right
0: man thank you so much ed thank you so much brother for for having this conversation and and thank you for your passion for the gospel the the one hope that we have the the true solution to the core that brings about stories like these our prayers Go out to Ahmad Arbury, his family, as they grieve right now. Um, and, and my prayers go out to 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 you as you tune in, my friends and family. Um, right. we'll we'll have this footage available uh, later on for those of you who tune in at uh, tune in again. And also um, the one piece of information that never expires and is always relevant is the gospel that we just shared. <laughs> like that's that right. that's just as true on May 20th as it will be on June 20th, All right, That's just right. as true. <laughs> that one doesn't, doesn't expire. The rest of the information, we're going to watch it as it comes in. But that, that, that never expires. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord on May 20th. He's going to be Lord on June 20th too, Ed. Yeah, he sure will. <laughs> and, I,
1: and let me tell you, thank you, Jesse, for being um, a beacon of hope um, in the Seattle area, even around the country. Yeah. You, you, you live out what you talk about. This isn't, hey, let's rehearse this um, because I'm new to thinking about this. This is something that I've watched you live in your life. Um, you're not interested in being politically correct. You're interested in loving correctly. And so I, I think that we both stand as, as two um, individuals who are passionate about um, people, loving people far from Christ, and discipling those who, who've been found. And so that's why we do it. It's good to be mm-hmm. together.
0: Amen. well, God bless you all for tuning in. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus alone is Lord, and only a revival by the power of the Holy Spirit of God can transform the hearts of those who are stuck in the sin of racism. That's right. So God bless you guys. Ed, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks, man. I love you. I love you, brother.